0: Okay, this morning, um, we're going to look at one of the hard passages in the Bible. It's one of those passages that the scholars and theologians write books or commentaries about, and, and they really don't know how to deal with it. And I'm not saying I'm any smarter than any of them either. Um, so we're going to look at it. Hopefully, I'll give you more than you had when you came in and get you closer to understanding it, but I'm not saying I'm there either. It's a very hard passage of Scripture, but I think wrestling it, with it this morning, will help us understand some of the concepts associated with it, and make us just a little closer to understanding God's heart on this matter. So I'm in the book of Malachi, Malachi in Hebrew, uh, which means my messenger, and it's an interesting name for a prophet, wouldn't you say? I mean, to have the name that I'm God's messenger, and then the way the the book starts out, it says an oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through my messenger, through Malachi, Um, but it says an oracle. And that's an okay word, but I don't really think it communicates the tenor of the Hebrew word. The King James gets it right, and it just translates it straight across as burden. Now, they probably, the NIV, wanted to use oracle because nobody knows what a burden is. Well, that's true. We don't, but it carries the idea of something heavy to carry. Malachi's message isn't necessarily an easy message to hear, And it wasn't an easy message to give. So the fact that he calls his message a burden, it just adds depth to the message he's about ready to share right now, which I told you people are still wrestling with today. So here's what he says. An oracle or a burden, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says, Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and his inheritance to the desert jackals. Okay, we've got no problem understanding God's love. People talk about the love of God all the time. But this passage of Scripture also talks about God's hate. That's why it's one of the hardest passages to deal with. How do you deal with this concept of God hating somebody? Jacob have I loved, Esau I have hated. It says quite plainly that God hates somebody. Wow, I didn't know that. I mean, you've seen bumper stickers and stuff, God loves you? Yeah. Can you imagine one that says God might hate you? That'd be a trip. But it's biblical. God hates. We often think that hate is a bad thing, therefore it cannot be associated with God. But obviously, if God can do it, it's not a bad thing. reminds me of anger. People say, oh, anger's wrong. No, anger's wrong if it's wrong, angry or wrong anger. But you should be angry at certain things, should you not? When you turn on the news and you see about somebody being harmed, an innocent child being kidnapped, you get mad. And you should get mad. That's good anger. When you see justice just being thrown under the bus and bad people rised up and good people lowered down, and you get angry. And you should get angry. Anger is not always a bad thing. Sometimes it's actually a good thing. Hate, though, really? Can hate ever be a good thing? Yeah. Don't you hate it when bad people take advantage of good people? Yeah. Don't you hate Hitler? Yeah. Well, hate's not necessarily a bad thing either. We've got to be more careful with it, for sure. But maybe if we can explore it, we can learn a little something from it. So here's the first thing you do. You come across a word in the Bible you don't like, so you look it up in the dictionary and hope it means something else. But this word, this Hebrew word for hate, it's one of the most easily translated, straightforward words I've ever studied in Hebrew. And you know, I've worked with Hebrew quite a bit. And like in English, you look up a word in the dictionary and there's like five definitions, right? It's not different in Hebrew or Greek. A word can have multiple meanings. Not this word. This word has one meaning. And it means to hate. The only other nuances they've put on it is to hate hard, or hate more, or to abhor. I mean, it's just one word, it means hate, that's what it means. So we're not going to be able to slip through this theological conundrum, get away with it by saying the word doesn't mean that. It's exactly what it means. God hates Esau. And then it gets even more confusing. Because in the New Testament, this situation is referenced again in the book of Romans. And it talks about Jacob and Esau, And how that before they were even born, God said the elder is going to serve the younger. And he chose Jacob and not Esau. Well, people take that choosing at their birth and then tie it together with this hate. But God does not say he hated Esau before he was born. That's a mistake people make. It says he chose Jacob before he was born. It didn't say he hated Esau. So we can just throw that away. That's no longer a problem. It doesn't say that. It just says he chose him. But this passage says he does hate him. And as I'm thinking about God and hate, I decided I'd make a list of some of the things in the Bible that says God hates. It's not this one verse. Maybe we could get away with it. It was just this one verse. But there's lots of verses about things God hates in the Bible. In just a couple of chapters in Malachi, it says God, he says, quote, I hate divorce. And we'll talk about that in a few weeks. There's one proverb that lists seven things that God hates. Let me read it to you. A proud look. This is Proverbs 6, by the way. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that plots wicked plans. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And a man who stirs up discord amongst his brothers. So in that one proverb... God lists seven things he hates. Pride, deception, murder, evil thoughts, evil actions, lying to others, and somebody who stirs up discord in the family. And the extended family, I'm sure, is what it means. Then in Psalm 11, there's something else that God hates. It says, The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence, his soul hates. The wicked and those who love violence he hates. Well, now I go back to Esau. Esau was going to murder his brother. So is that a man who loves violence? Yes. Is that a man who is wicked? Yes. So it's not hard to put together the fact God hated Esau because Esau was wicked. He was going to murder Jacob. Jacob had to flee for his life. So, God loves people. We all knew that. But now we're being introduced to this concept that he also hates people. It might be, and I haven't fully thought this out, but it might be that God hates people who hurt other people. That might be the simplest way to understand it. Those who hurt people, God hates. Well, that's not at the end of the story. We're just getting into it. He says... Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Now Jacob, you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, okay? Now Jacob had a special relationship with God because from him was going to come the whole nation of Israel. And so he renamed Jacob. Jacob was renamed Israel. So now when you read the Bible, if it says Israel, it might be referring to Abraham's grandson, Jacob, or it might be referring to the entire nation that sprung from him. Or it might be referring to the land where those people lived. Or, when the nation divided into two parts, the northern kingdom was called Israel and the southern kingdom was called Judah. So, when the Bible says Israel, you've got to stop and say, whoa, who's he talking about here? Is it the northern kingdom? Is it all the children? Is it Jacob? And then, to make it even more confusing, and it's really not, it just requires you to stop and ask a couple questions when you read the Bible. But to make it a little more confusing, sometimes God calls the children of Israel Israel. Jacob. So in this passage, it says, Jacob have have I loved. Okay, there was Jacob and Esau. But is he talking about just Jacob or all the children of Jacob? And now Esau got a new name too. Let me read to you from the Bible. Here's what happened. Genesis 25. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau, by the way, is his brother, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. So he got another name, Edom. He's saying, why was he also called Edom? Because he said, give me some of that red stew. The Hebrew word for red is Edom. So they started calling Esau red, because he wanted some red stew. How weird is that? Hey, red, come here. like making fun of him. Come out of the country, starving half to death. We'll just call you red you ever go home really hungry? Like sometimes I just get in the door and I got to eat something. I don't care if dinner's ready or half ready. I got to eat something. I'm starving. So if that had happened last week, they'd be calling me spring roll. Because I got in the door and I just grabbed a spring roll off the counter and I ate it. What would they be calling you? Hershey? You know, hot dog? What do you want to be called? Chalupa? (laughs) That'd be a pretty cool nickname. Hey, Chalupa, come here. And then, you know, people, name stick. I know people who are like real pudgy when they were young, so they started calling them fats. And then they grew up and they were skinny and good looking and they still call them fats, you know? And other people, they just make fun of it. I'm not saying this is good, I'm just sharing experiences. People who are really big, they just call them slim. Kind of as a joke. And names stick. So Esau is Edom. And his descendants are known as the Edomites. And they're mentioned throughout the Bible. So, when it says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, there's a huge play of words going on right here, and we have to stop and ask ourselves, exactly who is God talking about? Well, I know he loved Jacob. He made him the father of all of Israel. I believe he hated Esau. I think the literal interpretation is the best, because Esau wanted to kill Jacob. But when it says, I hated Esau, in Malachi 1.3, it says, Esau I have hated, and I have turned his mountains into a wasteland. Ah, I think we're going beyond Esau now, for a couple of reasons. First of all, because it's talking about turning his country into a wasteland, and now if he's got a country, we've got to be talking about his descendants. Plus, this is Malachi writing. Malachi wrote roughly 500 B.C. So when did Jacob and Israel live? Around 2,000 B.C. So you know he's not talking about the original two brothers. He's talking about the nation. And remember, he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And they challenged him and said, how have you loved us? And now God is telling them how he loves them. So he's speaking about the nations, not just these two individuals. So why did God destroy the Edomites? Why did he hate the Edomites in addition to Esau? What did they do wrong? All right, let me tell you a little bit about Israel's history. Israel was given the commandments of God And they were the only people on the planet who were told right from wrong about the one true living God and what he wanted from them. And he wanted them to be like a testimony to the rest of the world and bring the message of the gospel to the whole world so everybody could follow God and be saved. But they turned their backs on God, started worshiping idols like everybody else was doing. And God had an agreement with them. He said, listen, you obey me and follow me. No enemies will overthrow you. Uh, Everybody will be healthy. You'll be rich. You'll be fat and happy. It'll all be good. Everything will be good. No diseases, nothing. You'll have perfect life. But you turn your back on me. All the diseases that you saw in Egypt, they're going to cleave to you. All the enemies that I was protecting you from, they're going to come in. And he said, this would all happen. They turned their back on God. God sent them prophets to tell them to straighten up. You know, if you don't straighten up, it's going to get bad. And it kept getting worse and worse for them. And they wouldn't come back to God. And eventually God said, okay, that's enough. No more warnings. And he sent in the Babylonians and the Assyrians to destroy Israel and Judah and to deport them to other countries. It was horrible times. I mean, they were surrounded. They lived in a walled city in Jerusalem. No food could get in and out. They started eating each other. That's how bad it was. Bad times. And the crazy thing is, God warned them way back in the days of Moses that that would be the end result of turning from him. But God loves Israel with an everlasting love, so he brought them back to the land let them start all over again, and they started to turn away again. Malachi is writing. That's what's going on. So they're kind of doing this thing. Are we going to walk with God? Are we not going to walk with God? Well, when the Babylonians came in and destroyed Israel, Judah as it technically was called, a lot of the people scattered. They ran, you know. Well, the Edomites came and started, like, setting up bands of soldiers at all the escape routes weren't even part of Babylon. And they weren't even going after the soldiers. They were just going off the citizens fleeing for their lives. And they started killing them, robbing them, and taking some of them back and giving them as slaves to Babylon. This really upset God, right? It's horrible. It's evil. It's mean. God hates wicked, evil people. And these people were beyond wicked and evil. They were taking advantage of people that were already down, kicked, stabbed, and starving, and still abusing them. Here's what God said about it. I'm from the prophet Obadiah. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob... Remember, Jacob is Israel. Because of your violence against Israel, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. That's why God can say, Jacob, I have loved Esau, I have hated. So God destroyed the Edomites. They thought they would be safe. They had this amazing fortress built up into the rocks. Tourists go to see one of those fortresses all the time in Jordan. It's called Petra. Edomites built that. They thought, hey, nobody can get in here. We're safe. We're good. And nobody living there now. God said, I'll pull you out of those rocks. And that's exactly what happened. Well, my, my message this morning is called God Loves and God Hates. Starting to get a little idea of what that means. Mostly, it seems that God hates those that harm other people. The Edomites took that to the, as far as you could take it. They abused the Israelites, so God hated them and God judged them. Now, I told you that the word hate means hate. It can't mean anything else. It's one of the clearest words I've ever studied in the Bible. It's true. But all words can be used in a metaphorical sense. All words can be used in a poetic sense. Hate is no different. Hate can be used in what is known as, new word, hyperbole. That's how the people who study the Bible or grammar call it. We'll just call it exaggeration. Like, and I, I use this example probably because it was the one I heard when I was growing up. I told you a million times, shut the front door. Well, I doubt she told me a million times. Maybe ten times that week. Certainly not a million times. So if you were to read, I told him a million times to shut that front door, nobody would take that literally. Here's what you would know. Somebody told somebody lots of times. You'd know that million stands for lots. Even though you know literally million means 100,000, you know, ten times. But you know that's not what they're saying. Nobody has to explain that to you. You just know it. That's called hyperbole. That's what I'm talking about. Hate is used that way in Scripture, too. Have you ever wondered why we use hyperbole? Why do we exaggerate? I exaggerate all the time. By the way, did you just hear me do it? I exaggerate all the time. Well, not all the time! That's an exaggeration! But I'm an exaggerator. It's just part of my character. It's part of my nature. You know, I don't know why. It's who and what I am. Some people who don't appreciate that they don't get me and that's unfortunate because that's just who I am. But if you take me literally sometimes, you're gonna think I'm a liar. Because I'm not, I'm just exaggerator and it's hyperbole and most people would get that. Why don't you? You know, if, you know, yeah, I went over to Pete's house and you should see this back lawn, man. His grass is up to here. You could lose a kid in there. Well, if you take me literally, I've I've just lied. Because this grass isn't up to here. It's up to here. But I'm an exaggerator. You couldn't lose a kid in there. But I made a funny point. I like to talk that way. And you'll see this on, on TV a lot when you have talking heads talking about one side or the other. They always exaggerate the other side's position and their badness to make it look worse than it really is. We really shouldn't do that. But nevertheless, the reason I share hyperbole with you is because when we jump into other parts of the Scripture, the same Hebrew word is used, Hate and a similar one like it in Greek in the New Testament, but it's used in hyperbole. Remember I told you some people who don't understand hyperbole don't understand me and don't necessarily like me. They think I'm a fibber or don't get what I'm saying and just don't relate. That happens with the Bible too. There are some people who actually find verses of the Bible, find fault with them because they don't like what they say. I'm going to give you a verse from the New Testament that's another hard verse in just a moment. But first, let me build my way up to it with a hyperbole in the Old Testament using the same Hebrew word. Proverbs 13, 24 says this. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Same Hebrew word. Hate means hate. Does a parent hate his son because he doesn't discipline corporally? Of course not. So Steve, you think the Bible's wrong? Of course not. Let me read to you a little statement I made about it. People who don't discipline their children are doing them more harm than good. They may not hate them in the literal or emotional sense, but because they aren't willing to do what's necessary for the benefit of their own children, it's as if they hate them. People don't want to smack their kids because they think it's mean, it'll hurt their feelings or, you know, whatever. But sometimes a kid needs smacked. It's part of discipline. It's part of growing up. And the Bible says if you're not willing to do that because your emotions are too tied into that child and you don't want to see them cry and you don't want to cause them pain, you're hurting them more that way. A loving person does the hard thing. That's true love. So it says, hey, if you're not doing the loving thing, you're doing the hating thing. Spare the rod, hate the child, not spare the rod, spoil the child. So it's hyperbole. Of course you don't hate your child. But it's trying to make a very strong point that you're doing them a serious disservice and not showing love and you're hurting your child by not disciplining them when it's necessary. Give you an example of times it was necessary bringing up my kids. I won't tell you which of my children did this. Maybe he was two, somewhere around the age, maybe one. Old enough to do things. Old enough to know no. But not old enough to have a conversation with. Not old enough to explain the reason for no. Wouldn't it be really cool to stick stuff into that electric outlet? No. (laughs) Grab the wrist, smack the hand. No. You can say no, pull him away, and give him a bottle of Cheerios and think you've won. You haven't won. He's going to do it when you turn your back. I guarantee. That was a moment I was willing to inflict a little pain. Because a slap on the wrist, as hard as that was, to inf- it's nothing compared to getting electrocuted to death. Other time, now he's bigger, he's a toddler, he can run. Why not run right to the street? So I wanted him to know when I said stop, he stopped. I'm not going to play that game I've seen parents play where you chase your children through the parking lot. That game's ending now because I'm not having a dead kid on my hands. I said, no. Whack. All right, no more running out into the street. You can do it 20 times and hope he doesn't get hit by a bus the 15th time. Go ahead. Me, I'm going to discipline my kid for his own benefit. Those will be examples of discipline I gave. So now we move to the New Testament. John 12, 25. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. See, followers of God don't put their lives as their number one priority. God comes first. We're willing to deprive ourselves in our service to God. We're willing to die in our service to God. Don't get me wrong, we don't want to. But if that's what it takes, that's what we'll do. Therefore, it can be said of us that we don't love our lives. We hate them. Because we love God more. We'll put other people in front of us. And it's the same as that Proverbs passage. Now that you understand what's going on with love and hate in this context, here's the New Testament verse I told you about, that I have actually seen skeptics throw up in my face for reasons that they think the Bible is no good, and they would never follow Jesus because of this verse of the Bible. Let me read it to you. If anyone comes to me, this is Jesus speaking, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So this person will come up and say, Jesus wants you to hate your parents. I can never follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't want you to hate your parents. Says so right there in Luke 14, 26. No, it doesn't. Dude, don't you speak English? Yes, I do. Didn't he say that? Yes, he did. It's not what he meant. You don't understand hyperbole, do you? I do. I live it. It doesn't bother me at all. But some people, just like they don't like me for the way I exaggerate, they don't like Jesus for the way he exaggerates either. Listen, you can't just take a passage of Scripture and build your whole life around it. You've got to see what the Bible says on the topic altogether. Jesus talked a lot more about love than he did hate. And he put people down for not honoring their parents. Honor your father and your mother. It's one of the great Ten Commandments. Jesus was preaching it. So there's no way Jesus said to hate your parents. But Steve, he just said it. No, he didn't. You understand now. But if you take it out of context and don't study it, this is just like John 12, where hate simply means that we don't put ourselves above God. We don't put our families above God either. So I hate my own life in regards to the fact that I'm willing to give it up for Jesus. Well, in some families, you'll see this in Muslim families, You'll see this in Jewish families. You'll see this in Catholic families. I wouldn't be surprised if any strong ethnic group didn't do the same. I just don't know. But you tell your Jewish parents that you're now a follower of Jesus, some of them will have a funeral for you and never speak to you again. I've seen it. I've had friends who've done that. Some don't take it to that extreme, but boy, do they hate you and get mad at you and they, they, they treat you like dirt. And some, though, they'll threaten you first. They'll say, listen, it's either him or us. You choose. You want to be part of this family, you're going to keep the, the tradition. If you don't, you're out. This is true, people. Not everybody. I understand that. So at that moment, we have a decision we have to make God or my family. Well, if you're a God follower, God comes first. Listen, that's not your choice. That's their choice. They're forcing you. You're not forcing you. You tell them, listen, I don't make choices like that. I love God and I love you. I'm not choosing. If you want to choose to have nothing to do with me, that's your business. But I'm going to, I I love you and I'm not choosing. That's a bad decision. You decide. On the good news, after some years, there's often a relenting that happens, especially when the grandkids come along things do tend to change. But sometimes they don't. So that's what Jesus meant. He doesn't want us to hate our parents. We're supposed to give our lives for other people and to honor our parents. But should it come down to it, if we have to make the decision between loving God and loving our parents, God comes first. He's the Lord and King of the universe and God of all goodness and righteousness. When I had to make the decision to follow Jesus, I didn't know what my family was going to do. I did fear that they were going to disown me. I thought that was a real possibility. And I was very selfish with my decision. I said, listen, I'm going to heaven, and I'm not letting anybody take me to hell. I love my family, but I'm not going to hell with them. If they want to go, they can go. I didn't really feel that way, but you know, I just made it, hey, I'm choosing God, I'm choosing right, I'm choosing heaven. Join me, let's go but I'm not going to turn my back on God just because you want me to. That's not not happening with me. All right, so let me sum it up. God loves and God hates. The Edomites abused the Israelites, so God hated them. Hate can be used in hyperbole, even though the word itself is one of the clearest words in the Bible. It was used in hyperbole in talking about disciplining our children, that if you don't, you hate them. Obviously, you don't hate them, but it was making a point. And then when we choose to love God with all our hearts, souls, and might, we put him above our families and even our own comforts, desires, and safety. We willingly choose God over life. Therefore, it said we hate life. Let me tell you one more thing about families, what I've seen with most people who have given their lives to Jesus Christ. And I've seen this firsthand. They love their parents more. They love their family more they become more selfless, more family-oriented, and less oriented. They become the better son, the better daughter than they've ever been before. Oftentimes, they're the ones that bust their hump and serve the family selflessly. They're no longer the ones in the family feuds, fighting like everybody's fighting. They're not the ones that show up drunk and embarrass the family. And what ends up happening... As these people that were hated and despised because they chose God first. This choosing of God first made them love their family more, not less. And when they cut people off like that, they're cutting off their own arm. They're cutting off their own arm. They're hurting themselves. Because choosing God results in the multiplication of love. Not in the losing of love. Denying God makes for a love famine. But choosing God makes for more love to go around. It's always better to choose God. It benefits everybody more, not less. One more thing before I finish up about hate to help round out the whole package, I hope. In my perspective, in God's world, hate and love are not mutually exclusive. I think God can hate people and love them at the same time. Now, I know you think hate and love are just opposites. No, they're not. The opposite of love is selfishness, not hate. Look it up. Love is selflessness. Better translated that way oftentimes in the Bible. And the opposite of selflessness is selfishness. But, Steve, hate and love, certainly they can't go together. Yeah, they can. Here's what I mean by that. Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. Now, God destroyed the Edomites because of what they did to Israel. But what I didn't share with you earlier is that the Edomites had been a constant enemy of Israel for hundreds of years. And this was the straw that broke the camel's back. They were constantly attacking the Israelites, persecuting them and hassling them. God didn't judge them for hundreds of years. So even though they are bad to people and fall under the hate category, God still blessed them with rain. He blessed them with food. He blessed them with survival and prosperity. So in my mind, it's not mutually exclusive. Like I said, I don't have it all worked out yet, but I want to give you the pieces I've got. Maybe you can work it out before I do. He spared the Edomites for centuries. Then he wiped them out. Listen to what Romans 5.10 says. And this applies to us today in our culture. When we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. So, God loves his enemies. Yeah. How can he hate and love them at the same time? Apparently he does. Because Jesus died for Edomites too, you know. So apparently in God's world, hate and love can work side by side. And I'm thinking, it's not until the moment of death that the choice is ultimately made as to God's love or God's hate. And it's you who get to choose. God prefers love. Now, we know God hates things. God hates people. I think particularly people who hurt other people. And love and hate are not necessarily mutually exclusive. What about us? What are we supposed to hate? Let me tell you exactly what you're supposed to hate. You're supposed to hate evil in all of its forms. That's what you're supposed to hate. But just like God... If somebody comes to you and wants to know about Jesus, you have an opportunity to tell them about Jesus, you're supposed to tell them and pray for their souls and hope they get saved. You know, you can be a Christian cop and shoot at a bad guy. You may kill him, you may not. But if you don't kill him, you put the handcuffs on him and then you can pray for him that he'll recover and he'll get saved. And you can be a prison guard who prays for your inmates hey, if they're riding, you might hate them at that moment and be willing to put a slug in them. But when they're not riding, you're praying for their soul, trying to be nice to them. It's not mutually exclusive. Life isn't as easy as that. It's only that easy on TV. Didn't Jesus say, love your enemies, pray for those that persecute you and despitefully use you and abuse you? Yes, he did. So somehow we've got to learn how to balance the love and hate thing. But let me give you one piece of advice and I'll close. If you're not sure which way to go, Go on the love side. Love conquers all. Love is the biggest, the brightest, and the best. I don't want to give any of you an excuse to hate. Don't take that away from my lesson this morning. That's not what I was was talking about at all. God wants us to hate sin. Reject it in our own lives and follow Jesus. That's what he really wants. If you've not made a commitment to follow Jesus, I'd encourage you to do so. Hate what sin does to you. Reject it. Sin is um, doing things God doesn't want us to do. Sin is not doing things God does want us to do. But more importantly, sin is that thing in us that keeps us from being able to change those first two. There's something wrong, something broken in our souls. And God wants us to hate that brokenness, that thing that infects us and makes us do bad. Tell him we don't want it anymore. Tell him we're willing to follow his way as best we can, that we believe in Jesus. If you hadn't made that decision, I'd encourage you to make it this morning.